We start a new series today, and I'll tell you more about it in just a second, but I want to advertise something that we've started recently that coincides with the preaching and the sermon series that we've been doing, and we simply call it Beyond the Sermon, and it's an opportunity for you to receive, if you want, you get to opt into this, if you want, I will send out a text message during the week that relates to what we've talked about on Sunday. Sometimes it's a study guide, sometimes it's a, it's a question for reflection, sometimes uh, it's a song that goes along with the worship or maybe a news article that I've seen, but it's an effort to help you take the sermon, the message, further into the week. And many of you have already signed up for it, and I'm so grateful for that, and I've gotten lots of feedback about how much you appreciate it. And so if you'd like to receive that, simply text the word beyond to our church text line number, and you'll receive that. And if it may come back and ask you for a, uh, for a, a name, if you would, supply that. And then if you receive things, oftentimes I'll even ask a question, if you receive a text from me on that through that number, you can reply to that text, and the promise is you're not lighting up everybody else's phone. You're not trapped in some kind of uh, group chat, okay? So that you can talk straight back to me, and we can have a dialogue that way, and I've really enjoyed reaching out and connecting with people that way. So the word beyond to that text number. Okay, I hope you have a journal I want you to be using these journals. This is simply God's Word in a simple format. Um, this year they released the Bible in print. So now you can get it not just on your digital device, but in print. Pretty cool. What these journals allow you to do is they allow some space for you to take some notes, write some reflections. And there's all kinds of science that's already proven this. I think God knew this all along. But when we interact in an analog form, there's something about how much deeper it goes into us and how it much has effect on us. So I realize that you may not um, have been uh, in this practice already. This may not be part of what you do. But I'm going to encourage you to try it. Okay, give it a try and see if this doesn't help you absorb God's word even more, because what we're going to discuss throughout this series is how transformative God's word is. Let me be clear, not my words, but the ones that God gives us his living word that is transformative and redemptive, and it will do a work on us as if we expose ourselves to it. In fact, uh, Marcia, I'm going to bring up the lights just a little bit for those that are writing in their, uh, in their journals. And we're going to begin with this. And what you have in those journals is the gospel, not sorry, not the gospel, but the letter of Ephesians. Now, you may ask, what's in Ephesians? Well, this is Paul writing a letter to a particular place at a particular time meaning that there's a historical context around this. And what Paul is writing, he's writing to a city called Ephesus, and I'll show you on the map. Here's where Ephesus is, is located. And if you notice, it's in Turkey, and it's in the area of Asia Minor, and it is part of one of the seven churches that are mentioned in 
Revelation. Paul spent about two years and three months in this city, and so he proclaimed the gospel there, he taught, he started a church there, he knows these people well, and he writes this letter a few years later when he's in prison. So the words that we have in Ephesians in a Roman prison have survived all these years while a man named Nero was on the throne and we don't have any of his writings left. A would-be preacher that went around and had no home base, that sort of lived on the generosity of others with a mission that was he was beat up, he was flogged, he was outcast, he was shipwrecked. There is no reason that we should still have these documents, and yet these documents have been preserved through history and have greatly impacted world events. That's the power of God's Word. This is why we believe it's so redemptive. Now, Ephesus is just one of the seven cities that's right in this, this area. And so what we believe, what we have in, in Ephesians, is we have what was known as a circular letter. In fact, some of the earliest manuscripts don't actually have the city of Ephesus named. Some ones shortly after that do. And so what we believe is that this is a letter that Paul wrote, not just for the city in particular, but that whole region as he was outlining, here's how you're to live. And you can actually go to Ephesus now, and the, the ruins are just striking. Here's a picture of, of one of them. And this is just one of the ruins that they have in Ephesus. This is a city that's well-documented. It's well-excavated. There's lots that we know about it. It was a port city. It was a major city. And it was a place where all kinds of worldviews were coming together. And at many times at odds with one another, challenging one another. People disagreeing with one another, disagreeing loudly with one another. Groups vying against other groups to gain economic advantage, to gain political advantage, to gain social status above one another's. I know it's hard to believe that there ever existed a society like that, right? So this is, brings me to something that you've probably heard me say before, but in case you haven't. I believe that Scripture is always relevant, but I believe it's more relevant now because the 21st century more greatly resembles the 1st century dynamic when Paul wrote this than any century in between. And that's what this series is going to be about. We're going to look at the cultural impact that Ephesians had in the 1st century and what Paul was trying to accomplish in the writing of this by the power of the Spirit and what I believe God is still doing through the power of the Spirit with these words today. This is a book that is ancient, and yet it will seem as relevant as the last tweet that came through because it matters today. 
So I'm calling this Awake, and we'll talk about why Awake in a second. We're talking about experiencing the gospel in a woke world. And apparently when you put woke into the title, it gets a lot of people's attention. So let me define terms this morning, because woke is not the only term that we have to define. Because I'm going to walk us through, and I've been praying a lot about this series, and I've been praying about this message, and I'm actually going to ask for your prayers as we go through this, because I want to be a few things all at the same time. I want to be bold, and I want to be courageous. I also want to be truthful, and I want to be graceful in the moment. And I believe that Scripture does that. So I'm not worried about Scripture doing that. I'm worried about me doing that. Does that make sense? And so I'm going to covet your prayers. And I'm also going to ask for your patience and your grace. Because as we go through this series, and we're going to be in the series for a while because we're going to do a deep dive. I'm going to ask that you always keep an open mind about where the Scriptures are leading us. Because it's going to be really easy in this series when we cross, come across those verses that's pointed out some evil out there in our culture and we challenge it and it talks about it for you to get really on board and get really excited about. But the pushback is going to come when we come across the scriptures that challenge us in our comfort zones and makes us feel a little uneasy. And what I believe Scripture is going to do is when it's through, nobody is going to be left untouched. Nobody's going to be left without having to deal with something in your life that you got to be challenged by. Because I think that's the power of of scripture that's the power of what Paul is doing guided by the holy spirit when he writes this the other thing that i'm also very aware of and ask for your prayers of is as i said this is an election year this can easily be some dicey stuff this can easily be some things that we you want to push you back on you may at times think that this is political That's not my intent. But if we follow Scripture through it, at times you're going to think, well, that's pretty left-leaning, Scott. Or at times you're going to think, well, that's pretty right-leaning. Because Scripture does not behold to either political party. Scripture is not subject to either political party or ideology. And neither political party has an entire monopoly on Scripture. Nobody owns Jesus, okay? So we're not going to start or have the assumption. So there may be some moments where you think, wow, he's starting to track one way or the other. Well, just give me a breath because I'm going to come back the other way. Not because I'm so smart, but because that's what Scripture is going to do. That's what the the words of God are going to do in this. And so the challenge for us all is going to be, there's going to be times that you're going to think somebody else needs to hear that, but there's going to be times where you realize, 
I'm the one that needs to hear that. And find yourself in the story. Find yourself in the words of God. This is why I want you to have a journal in your hand and I want you writing things down because this is how we're going to let God's Word work on us. And at times, as we go through this series, there may be some things that I'll recommend, I'll suggest, or I'll ask you to do outside of the sermon moment, some things to reflect on, some prayers to consider, all kinds of different things, but I want you to have a chance to capture those and have a place where you can have a dialogue with God through that. So with that said, let me define my terms. First of all, and it's experiencing the gospel. You may not understand what the gospel is. It means good news. This is going to be our working uh, definition throughout this series. But it is the proclamation. It's an announcement. It's a message. It is news. Something has happened of the kingdom of God breaking into the world through the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You do not have the gospel without having Jesus. What Jesus did in his ministry, his death, his burial, and his resurrection is the catalyst. It is the defining moment. It is the launching of the gospel event into the world. And it's the reign of God. And the reign of God is the expanding kingdom of God where God has all authority and God gets to call the shots. Does anybody ever come from a family? Did you ever take a family vacation? I mean, and survive? I grew up with three brothers, or I'm one of three brothers. See, if, if you got three brothers and you took a family vacation when all that you had was a Mercury Marquis boat of a car... And everybody, all three boys fit on the back, had to sit in the back. You know, it's front seat, back seat, that's all, that's all we had. See, kingdom really came to matter then. Because the discussions about five minutes after we got out of the driveway was always like, he's touching me. Stop touching me. And so we started to draw lines on the seats, right? Because between the door and that first hump going over into the middle there... That was my what? My kingdom. That's where I had reign. That's where I had authority. That's where I was the one who called the shots until we fought enough. And then mom had a way of reaching behind while driving and beat us with a flip-flop. She was a saint in every other way but that. Because we were in her kingdom, right? So the kingdom of God is the place where God's rule and authority spreads and grows. And the gospel is the power behind that. Okay, let's do the more difficult one. Woke. Woke initially signifying social awareness and addressing racial injustices. You can do all kinds of different research... Some of the research that I saw begins the use of the word in the vernacular about 1930s. And it was actually a very good word. It was this idea that there became an awareness of systems that were still in place in our country at that time 
that, that were oppressive and creating division, not unity. They're creating class structure, not coming together. Like with many words, it got hijacked. It has now come to mean something different, and for the purposes of this, because there's all kinds of definitions of this, okay? And my, my goal is not to pick on any one definition. I'm just telling you where I'm coming from when it relates to what we're going to do in Ephesians. In contemporary usage, it's an excessive political correctness, extreme progressivism, deconstruction of traditional structures, and here's the key, with a confidence placed in secular sources. This idea that there's a culture out there that if we can just get that culture right, we'll all be right. And it places a hope and a value in secular sources as opposed to what we'll talk about in just a second. So again, its initial outset, there is a lot that you're going to hear me say that's going to sound, again, because Scripture is going to take us to where it needs to take us, and it's going to sound kind of like at times echoes of one or one side or the other side, but Paul's going to ask us to be aware of injustices, and he's going to call us to that. But what Paul's going to do is he's going to lead us to a particular conclusion on why in the gospel, not a secular source for our hope and our confidence. So the next word, I, I didn't make up the word, but I'm making up the definition. Is that fair? So if you try to Google this one, you're not going to find it anywhere. But if we have woke, I want to talk about what it meant to be asleep. Asleep is seeking to remain spiritually comfortable, treating the church like a bunker, ignoring those who are not already a part of us. So this is where it's going to challenge. Paul's going to challenge some of us because he's going to call us into this place that says we need to have a heart that follows the heart of God and looks outwardly and says, where's the need? Where's the hurt? Where's the concern in our world around us that as Christians we need to be responsive to? Now, unfortunately, what's happened in the church, particularly in our country, is that because we don't want to get into difficult conversations, and I get it. Trust me, I've prayed long and hard before we launched this series. That what we've done is we've decided to take the shelter-in-place approach. And as long as we can keep the world outside of our churches and we can hunker down inside of our churches, we'll just kind of hang on to each other until Jesus comes back and takes us home. The struggle with that is that was never the design for the church. And the world is the need of a church. And so here's these two poles. This woke culture or this asleep culture. And I'm going to tell you, let me boil these down real clear and I realize that when you simplify something way down some things get lost along the way but here's the major difference between them see asleep in the church culture is we want to claim truth but we lose our grip on grace 
in the woke culture, we're going to claim grace and we're going to lose our grip on truth. And Jesus had a way of hanging on to both. I've always envied people with, that have dogs that actually want to play fetch. I've never had a dog that just wanted to play fetch that long. I mean, we made attempts at it. But then I would see somebody else's dog that if you held up a tennis ball, I mean, they just locked down because they're ready to go. And then you throw it, and they just fire out the door, and then they run, they retrieve it, they bring it back, they look at you, and they're ready to go again. And this is nonstop. Have you ever seen a dog like that? What's really fun then is when you throw two tennis balls. Because there's the moment with one in their mouth, they're trying to figure out how to pick up the other one, right? And it's not working. This is the same kind of difficulty that you and I have when we try to hold on to grace and truth together. And so often we will fall off onto one side of the struggle or the other. So a graceless truth is we'll come down and say we are right. And scripturally, we probably are. And we can back it up and say here's the point and here's the position and here's why. And then because we have the truth, we then find a reason to say anybody without the truth can be dismissed, and they're not our concern anymore. Or we cut off contact, relationship. And on the other side, it's this truthless grace. And we see this play out in our world too, where it almost seems like anything goes because... We can't apply truth because truth would be limiting. Truth would be a boundary of some kind. It would be some type of guideline. And so we seem to think that our only options are a graceless truth or a truthless grace. And so this is where Paul is going to bring us what we'll call awake. And that's his word. So if you have your, your scripture journals, Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to launch into what will be the theme verse for this. We'll unpack it. And then beginning next week, we'll walk back into the very beginning of this. Ephesians 5, 13 through 16. And I want, if you want to go ahead and Get your pen out. I want you to circle that verse. I want you to highlight it because this will be the one that guides everything else that we do. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Paul uses an analogy that you see all through the New Testament, this idea of light and dark. And light always reveals truth. But we love the dark, don't we? 
You ever play hide-and-go-seek? I was a hide-and-go-seek champion. I couldn't do a single varsity sport, but hide-and-go-seek, that was my talent. I'd go out to my grandma's, and we'd play hide-and-go-seek out there where we'd turn all the lights off, and it was just dark, and we'd, we'd play out there. How one of us didn't get snake bit, I don't know. One time I was playing hide-and-go-seek with my brothers, and we were in the bedrooms, and I was completely out in the open, except I had gotten on his, my brother's bed that was up in the corner of the room, and I just wedged myself as far back into a corner. If you'd flipped the lights on, you couldn't have missed me. But since it was so dark in there, they came into that particular room looking for me. They felt along the wall, and he knew he was coming to the next wall, and so he feels along the wall, and then he puts his hand over here on this next wall and begins that way. I am right here. I mean, it was one of those greatest moments of my life kind of deal. They had to give up. They had to come in and find me. Finally, they just give them, flip the lights on, you know, five minutes later. And they're like, are you, you're kidding us, right? That's where you were? Because the dark hides us. The truth brings the light. In the dark, we can hide all of those parts of us, all of that bitterness in us, all of that sin in us. And what Paul is going to call us to is turn the light on. Get it again. When the light is exposed, but when anything is exposed by the light, it suddenly becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, wake up. Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You're going to see the gospel and Jesus at the center and throughout the entire book of Ephesians. You're going to see it in all the New Testament. But Ephesians, Paul is going to continue to hold up Jesus Christ and the gospel. Jesus Christ and the gospel. Jesus Christ and the gospel. And it's all about turning the light on. And through the whole book, it's about revealing this light of Christ. Look, And then he's going to say, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. I'm telling you that verse applies today just like it did when he wrote it. So we're going to be about turning the light on. Seeing what the gospel story is and then learning how to walk in that and that will be awake. Here's Ephesians for you. A very simple breakdown. But Ephesians is one of Paul's letters that really breaks down very simply. Chapters 1 through 3. Comprehending the gospel. Comprehending, understanding the revelation that has come to us through Jesus Christ. And he's going to repeat it over and over and over again in lots of different ways. And we're going to work our way through that. Chapters 4, 5, and 6. Responding to the gospel. He's going to get into this language, but now how do you walk in that? How do you exist in that? What does that mean? Because he doesn't want us to sleep, remember. And he doesn't want us woke. He wants us awake. So... Last definition is this, awake, 
is living out the gospel in a world that desperately needs the gospel. See, the gospel was not, never intended for me to accept it and then be so grateful that whew, I'm saved. Now I just got to run out the clock. The gospel, remember, involves the expanding reign of the kingdom of God of which now we participate in. Another way to say it is one through three is the gospel story. And four, five, and six, chapters four, five, and six is us in the gospel story. Our place in the story as it becomes our story. So that's what it's going to mean as we walk through this. One last note, because I'm aware of when we move into certain parts of Ephesians, it's going to be very easy for us all to go, Scott's preaching against so-and-so, and I'm glad he's doing it. There is never a point in Scripture where somebody else becomes the enemy. Becomes the one that I suddenly get permission to hate. The one that I get permission to dismiss. The one that I get permission to ignore, to not be concerned about, and to give up praying for. Somebody else is never the foe when it comes to what Paul's calling us to. And he uses Ephesians to make that point. So if you would, Ephesians chapter 6, 6.12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Don't mistake what I'm saying. There is a battle to be fought, and it will be messy. But somebody else is not the enemy. They may be a victim and a casualty of it, but we're never given permission to write somebody off because they vote differently, because they think differently, because they see the world differently. However, we do not are never given that permission from Jesus. From Scripture, because Jesus never writes them off either. That's why we started this whole year with the sermon about the father that waits on the front porch looking for his lost son, or the shepherd that goes out looking for the one sheep when the 99 are safe back in the pen. Being called to that. So there is a battle, and there is a wrestling, Paul says. But against it's a spiritual warfare, and it is real. But we are battling things that are unseen many times. Now, we see the implications of them, and they're real. We've got to get our eyes on right, and what Paul's saying is the gospel will, be, will shine a light and reveal all for what it is. So the question for us as we go through this, Will we be an awake church? 
because the world desperately needs the gospel. Will we choose to hunker down in a bunker or will we choose to go along with whatever the cultural trend of the day is or will we be gospel people comprehending and responding to this gospel story that we've been given. We pray for us. Father, I pray that you would wake us up. Wake us up from our desire to be comfortable and wake us up from our desire to be trendy. Father, there are a lot of voices in our world right now, so I pray that your voice through the words of Ephesians would change us. Father, may we be a place that holds on to grace and to truth. And even as difficult as that seems at times, Father, would you give us the wisdom and the courage to do that? Because, Father, you hold on to us with both hands. So, Father, I pray that we would be a people that would experience what it means to receive the gospel in our own hearts and lives and then to be a people that live it out. It's the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.